Constructive Voices, the podcast for the construction people with news, views and expert interviews. Hi, I'm Steve Randall and welcome to another of our special podcast episodes featuring the many people that Peter Finn, Pete the Builder and I spoke to at the Footprint Plus event at the start of June. We learned a lot and discovered some fascinating work that's going on to ensure that the construction industry is part of the greener, more sustainable world that we need as we drive towards carbon net zero. If you can't wait to catch up with all our guests from Footprint Plus, have a listen to our online radio stream where you can hear them all. Just visit constructive-voices.com, don't forget the dash, or ask Alexa to launch Constructive Voices. However you listen, with Constructive Voices, the conversation is building. Constructive Voices' media partner in Ireland and the United Kingdom is Construction Industry News. Since 2002, Construction Industry News has been focused on the very latest projects and developments within the UK and Ireland. My name's Jason Horner. I'm from Hilsa Moran. Um, we're an environmental engineering and design practice. Um, we, we develop buildings, places, um, smart infrastructure, infrastructure and environments that, that meet our net uh, environmentally positive future goals. Um, as well as designing sports stadia across the world, some of the more iconic buildings in London and some of the major regeneration projects in the UK. Uh, we, we develop tools in-house, we have research and development and we look at healthy cities, healthy places and places that pay, people want to work, live and I guess play, if that's not too corny. I think it's fair to say that the drive towards constructing uh, buildings now in an environmental way is now a proper action people have stopped talking about it and they're starting to really take action now is that fair to say and would you like to develop that uh, subject in any way uh, yes absolutely we've seen a lot of change happen in the last three years particularly and um, the sustainability consultants so the things we do the environmental engineers are at the center of the conversation because everybody needs to understand what they need to do to decarbonize to reduce impact on environment um, and the conversations haven't been more more interesting than they are now. And I've been doing this for 20 years. There's a lot more collaboration in the industry between peers and between com- competitors, what we would have historically, you know, the people we would have um, historically been competing with are now sitting in the room and uh, we're working on this together and we're pulling groups together to collaborate and drive change faster because that's what's needed. Yeah, and it's great, it's great to hear that a change is happening now. Um, obviously, a lot more work to do. For me personally, I'm more focused on existing stock, which, as, as we all know, by 2050, it is anticipated that 70% of building will be existing stock. So it's not just about you know new builds. It's more also about the sort of collaboration between landlords and tenants and how do we get that right from a leasing perspective because... If you want to consider net zero and how do we get there, it's, you know, a major part of that is trying to understand where we are across the sort of industry and the typology of assets makes a big difference and the tenancy schedules and when there would be an opportunity to make any interventions in that respect as well. I think it's it's quite important. Excellent stuff. James, you want to come in there? 
Yeah, just to add to what Alan said, quite rightly, uh, I mean, I suppose I have the easier job. I design new places, um, new homes, future places. Uh, I don't have the job of retrofitting uh, existing buildings, existing homes. Some people refer to it as the, the 27 million white elephants, which is the 27 million existing homes, which are leaky and generally not well designed. Now, do, do we throw heat pumps at them? No, that's not the right answer. Can we put hydrogen in the gas grid? No, not really. We can't do that. So, you know, it, it needs some careful thought. And as Alan rightly said, it's not, it, it's an ownership issue. It's a governance issue. We, the owners, are the people that live and work in the buildings aren't the owners of the buildings. Uh, and, and, and it's bringing everybody together to work jointly and collaboratively. The investors are quite important too. Yeah, so we've got a huge retrofit project, you know, globally uh, as well as in the country here because, as we all know, the most sustainable building is a building that's already built in terms of, you know, you're not, you're, you don't have as big a, a carbon footprint. That's a huge issue and I think we need to develop on that. Yes, absolutely. The, the embodied carbon is what we call it. The carbon in the building's uh, fabric and the building systems is something that has been largely ignored until two years ago. And there isn't anything regulating it or setting any caps on how much we can emit within our carbon budget to limit um, the to basically climate catastrophe, to, to avoid climate catastrophe. So there's a lot of missing information out there. As a business, we, we've written a carbon manifesto two years ago and, and part of our role isn't only to provide a service of cons a consultancy service at various uh, stages of built environment life cycle, but it's also to educate, to raise awareness. And we've been doing that quite actively. We've been involved in uh, things like um, organizations like CLETI, the UK GBC, um, public sector um, organizations and, and various. And we've been influencing and writing policy. One was only published yesterday about embodied carbon specifically um, to aid City of London to make decisions and to help uh, applications become a little bit more considerate to embodied carbon. It's, it's all happening and it's, it's all about, um, and it's quite a fast changing. In fact, um, referring to footprint as an event, actually, I remember in 2020, um, Emily Day called me, um, and it was on the back of a presentation that Jason and I had done, um, in her office. And she, she was impressed by how, um, clear the, the we dis we spoke about energy and carbon at that time that's what that's what we were in for and she really wanted and this is this is that wish come true to bring people together to solve it together rather than people being you know fragmented and and writing their own thing on the side and coming up with their own solutions and this is exactly what this is in intending to be and the experts and the people who can drive and make change are here um, for these three days and it's fantastic to see it come into fruition Absolutely, and there's so many people networking here in front of our eyes. It's it's great to see people who have done so many so much research, maybe in their own facet of construction, getting to speak to somebody else who's done something similar, but probably in a slightly different area. Sorry, James, you wanted to come in there. Yeah, I was going to add to what Marie-Louise was saying there. In, in terms of the people that are here, it's not just it's the people that can make the change, the positive change. It's 
it's the supply chain that's here. We have the investors that are putting the money into new buildings, new places, future places. We have the, the developers that are going to develop. We have the architects. We have the engineers, the environmental engineers. And to, we have the, the planning policy officers, the local authorities, and the people that need to put together strategic plans that make this happen. We have some of the suppliers as well. So to talk here amongst pretty much anybody that you find there is connectivity there, there is something to talk about clearly we're going to talk about our aspiration to be net zero carbon at 2050 in a lot of cases we talk to the GLA it's 2030 uh, and different regions have their own plans but everybody here has got one aim and it's, it, it's very open and it's very chatty to add to what Jason and uh, Marie-Louise said I think it's been a great event um, from the point of view that we've also had asset managers in presenting and giving their opinions and it's quite refreshing to see that they're starting to understand more that we need to sort of design for performance and not just for compliance. So we've had talks where asset managers have emphasized the importance of data and continuous uh, monitoring of energy performance and so on. So that's been quite refreshing. That's Jason, Marie-Louise and Alan from Hilson Moran. From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry. This is Constructive Voices. So I'm here now with John McDonald Brown. I come from a commercial real estate background many years ago, and I set up Syzygy as a, as a renewable energy, initially a renewable energy consultancy to help real estate companies deploy as much renewable energy as possible, but to unlock the difficulties associated with the you know, commercial real estate world. One of our kind of strap lines in the early days was providing landlords with an accessible route to renewable energy. Very good, very good. Um, so I heard a, a good bit of your, your talk there as well. A lot of it was, well, it was basically uh, based around solar. Um, so solar has been around for a long time. The technology within it has advanced dramatically. Um, let's discuss that a little bit and, and what, what are your thoughts um, I, I know there's no one, one uh, fix all kind of solution out there but how, how strong of a role is solar going to play going forward um, I think um, well, particularly in the real estate world if we're, if we're focusing on that you know, in the construction side of things huge um, A because you're using space that wouldn't be used for something else whether that's in the car park and carports or it's on the roof so you're using valueless space it's also incredibly flexible as a, as a product we can talk about development pipeline of new technologies but fundamentally um, the you know, it's incredibly flexible so it's it's technically it's modular but commercially it's it's great because it's pretty it's you know whether it's old panels or new panels you can forecast pretty well what you're going to get out of the system so so you people can invest in it knowing having a very good idea of what the commercials look like but in terms of um I and mean, what's really exciting and something that we look you're never going to be at the front at the forefront of knowing everything that's going on in the market at any time it's it's a fascinating industry where there's you know, every day you're reading about new technologies being developed I've read over the years about loads of silver bullets that have never quite materialized. Um, I mean, efficiencies of, you know, now we're talking, you know, what was 190 watts in 2010 is now 370 watts. So efficiencies have doubled in 10 years and, and are continuing. Um, but and the other thing is, uh, particularly on larger buildings, the, decarbonize, the decarbonizing impact, if you like, even just on a, on a net on a net basis, 
you know, you use one kilowatt, you generate one kilowatt. Uh, on, on a lot of logistics buildings and big industrial buildings, where you've got bigger rooms. You're generating more power than is used across a year in some of these. So it's a massive, it's probably the biggest single contributor. And sadly, onshore wind, and we, you know, we'd love to see that back. Uh, it was killed really by the government you know, policy uh, you know, eight or nine years ago. But um, in the built environment, solar is really the, the number one uh, technology. Uh, and I don't see that changing. Very good. Very interesting to hear that. And um, being at a, an event like Footprint Plus, you get to speak to a lot of very similar minded people and, and a lot of positivity within the tent, um, which is great. Uh, I suppose, is it, is it fair to say that we've moved from the, the talking stage into some action, but maybe the action hasn't got the momentum it needs yet? Um, what's your thoughts on where we are in, in this battle and where are, we, where are we going to end up? Are we going to meet our targets? You know, that's a really good point. And, and um, uh, you go to these events and they're full of like-minded people. So as you say, there's always lots of positivity. The real world is, 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 is another place, right? And um, uh, I went to COP and oh, everyone's really buzzed, but you walk out the door and it's, it's same old, same old. I think, I think there is definitely a recognition that, that the, talking has to, well, the talking has to stop. And I think to an extent, to an extent, the talking, you know, in the real estate world, commercially, certainly the talking has stopped and now everyone is in, a, in an unseemly hurry to get things done. But that's coinciding, that's coinciding with grid constraints and all these sorts of things that uh, had they moved a little bit earlier, they wouldn't have encountered these problems. So, and as a business, whilst we, we do advise clients on strategy, really ask the strategic advice we give is all leading towards doing real things i've always been much more interested in the practical side and 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 you know um something you can see feel touch um and so uh so we're at that kind of delivery end and look if we're any kind of uh, you know um what's what i'm looking for example you know our business doubled last year and um and i think it will almost double again this year and that's just through demand from existing clients so definitely the the um you know the the, the talking is stopping but in other sectors i don't think it is but in the real estate sector it, it, i think it definitely is well that's good to hear final question then that was a long answer but it was a good one it was a good one um so electrification seems to be what the answer that a lot of people are kind of going towards uh we have issues with the grid but yet we have uh, a large push towards electric cars, electric vehicles, even talk of commercial vehicles going electric, which I think is going to take a bit longer, but it, it's certainly going in that direction. Um, what's your thoughts on that being on the inside? Um, like, w- would you say that the transition to that is going to be uh, possible? And how long will it take for us realistically to get to that stage? Well, the last part of your question is really difficult to answer i don't know how long it will take but the the electrification is happening whether we like it or not i mean i think that what's not to like about it right because what we're really doing is taking out gas um and reducing the amount of petrol and diesel that people use so that's all good right the i mean a lot we do a lot of work in electric electric vehicle charging infrastructure and i have an electric car myself and it took me eight hours to get back from cornwall uh, last week from half term uh so I think we're still, I mean, there are a million EVs on the road now. I mean, so the growth is phenomenal. The infrastructure is not catching up. Um, and I think 
you know, that is going to be, there's going to be a bit of a crunch point. Um, so electrification is happening. It has a big impact on, on the load. But what's interesting, when you think about when power is produced, whether it's wind, solar, nuclear, nuclear is obviously a base load power. We think about what, what, what we use as a nation today, obviously less at night, more during the day and peak it in the, in the afternoons. Um, if all that generation could run, and I'm, you, you can't run wind turbines 24 hours a day, but there's enough capacity already um, you know, with what's in the pipeline, um, so built and to be built, um, consented capacity, there's enough capacity to deliver what we need the question is about how you move that power around, right? So you've got, so what, what I think will be really interesting is, and people like Octopus have got these smart uh, tariffs where there are times of the day where you get paid to take power. So people will, you know, cars will be able to, you know, something like 75% they reckon of, of, an, of this electrification, certainly in the fleet, cars will happen at home. Um, I, I don't have any charging at home. I thought I'd do it the hard way, but uh, you've got to walk the walk, right? But the, um, but the, of course, a lot of that's going to be at night. So I think we'll see a big load shift towards night. Um, and um, so I, I don't think there's any question that we'll get there. Um, but battery storage is going to be a huge part of that. Um, and, and the question is, you know, what technology is the right technology? Hydrogen. I mean, love hydrogen, but it's incredibly energy intensive to make. Uh, but we could we could talk all day about you know wind turbines shutting down when it's windy and what you do with that power. Um, um, so we'll see. I'm sure we'll see a lot more of that in the future. But um, how long it will take? Well, what is it? The government is saying 2030 for no more um, no more new registrations of diesel and petrol cars. And we've looked at you know the, uh, this is probably a little bit boring, but the the um, uh, if you look at our car fleet, it hasn't, it's kind of topped out at about 32 minutes, probably going to come down with car sharing and young people are not, not driving. Young people in London, are, are, loads of them don't have cars, whereas we all had them when we were 17, 18. It's the first thing we wanted. So I think we'll see that come down. Um, but we reckon there'll be 8 to 10 million cars in, what are we now, 8 years' time. So, eight, so 10 times what we've got. Um, so we're well on the way. But that, that will only be about 30% of the fleet. So there's still, uh, you know, how long would it take? I think it will take to 2050 to get to get that flush through the system, if you like. Yeah. Listen, thank you very much for your time, John. Uh, really interesting stuff there. And I find it very intriguing because it, it affects me. I'm, I'm a, a main contractor in, in Ireland. I see, you know, transition happening, but it's, it's taken a long time. Uh, people's domestic homes are definitely becoming more energy efficient and solar is a big part of it. Uh, people are a lot more aware, but we've, we've a long road ahead, but I think, I think we are kind of going in the right direction. And uh, people, given, given uh, the input that you can give as well, is, is, great to, is great to see. So John Brown, sorry, John McDonald Brown. Oh, I nearly got that one wrong. Yeah. Irish mother, Sc- Scottish father and, and living in, in England. He's covering all corners. Listen, thanks very much, John. Thank you, Peter. Cheers. This is Constructive Voices. Hi, I'm Kelly. Um, I'm a structural engineer. I work for Whitby Wood, running a team there um, where we mainly do refurbishment projects, um, extending existing buildings with mass timber. Um, I've done that for, uh, oh, yes, 
16 years now um, and I'm also on the board of directors for Timber Development UK um, which are sort of um, a conglomeration of um, specifiers and tradespeople coming together to try and provide all the right information you need to design timber buildings to students and industry. Yeah, great to hear. I uh, come from a timber background myself as well. I'm a carpenter by trade and then I, uh, I'm a main contractor now as well. So I can clearly see the, the benefits of using uh, timber in, in construction and it's great to see that it's now starting to be used in mass construction also as well. Um, so do you want to develop that a little bit further about maybe upcoming projects you've got going on and where you see the future of that type of construction? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I started working with Mass Timber a long time ago, um, but mainly on sort of small scale schools, nurseries, churches, legends, buildings, those types of things. Really fell in love with it in the same way as you did as a carpenter, I'm sure. Like it's a clean site, it's easy, it's, it's nice for me to go and inspect. You, you can screw into it easily, there's no dust, there's no you know, annoyance to people around. Um, and then as, you know, my career developed, I started becoming more open to the commercial world. And then we were really thinking, you know, how, why can't we use engineered timber on office buildings? And, and started doing that with simple sort of single-story roof extensions, um, but then getting bigger and bigger to the point where we've added four storeys on top of a three-story building, six storeys all around the edge, huge um, glue lamb and CLT frame um, on one building and then now I'm mainly working on similar projects like that looking at where we can do that and what the opportunities are um, in and around the country for those extensions. Great stuff, great to hear. Um, So being at Footprint Plus obviously has a lot of similar minded people under the same roof. Um, I'm sure you've had the chance to discuss lots with lots of different subjects with lots of different people. How has it been being at an event like this with uh, such a focus on the sustainability issue in particular? Oh, it's fantastic. I mean, it's really nice to have all the conversations. That's the most important thing about this event, I think, is the conversations you have with people. And when, when there's so many like-minded people together, you can really push forward and have new ideas and you're not really explaining yourself or reinventing the wheel every time you're you're actually moving forwards and what we need to do is have these conferences and have new ideas and move things forward but then at the same time educate um those who aren't in in the same um space at the moment um but need to get there because we've all got um the law to get to zero by 2050 um so everyone needs to get there eventually and um i think it's really important that we have this space to be able to do that and start the process going great stuff so final question um are we going to get there and are we moving fast enough in that direction oh what a question um i am optimistic yes we will get there um we have to, right? What, what are we going to do otherwise? <laughs> We've no choice. We absolutely have to get there. So what can we do or are we doing enough to get the momentum behind, you know, the positivity that we have here at the moment? And like I've said this to several people, I think we have moved from the talking stage into seeing some action. Um, like, you know, we've seen some projects that have been completed that are, you know, properly recorded in terms of their carbon emissions and massively, you know, reductions in the carbon emissions. Are we going to see enough of more of that and quickly enough, um, in your opinion? I think it's moving really slowly at the moment. It needs to be quicker. There needs to be regulation for it to make it move quicker. But also there's the market's the incentive at the end of the day. 
the money is what makes things happen. So as soon as you know the funding is coming from an ESG funder or you have to um, offset any carbon um, in your project, that's going to drive the change more probably than even regulation. So I think um, things are changing and you know I think there's going to be huge movements in the next couple of years that will will be in a completely different climate again. <laughs> pardon the pun, <laughs> um, in two years' time, as as we were two years ago as well. And we've seen huge change through the pandemic and how that can happen. So why can't it happen for climate change as well? Well, thank you very much for your time, Kelly. It was lovely to talk to you and enjoy the rest of your day. Thank you very much. From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry. This is Constructive Voices. I'm Ken Honeysett. I'm from Triple Point Investment Management. Uh, I'm here with two hats today, uh, both of them related to district heating. Uh, as an investment manager, we're super excited about the prospect of a growing market and the ability to invest our own client funds. But we're also partnering with a government department. We partner with Bayes, delivering uh, two schemes for them. Uh, the Heat Network Investment Project, which is a £320 million three-year scheme which closed earlier this year. And its successor fund, which has just launched, which is the Green Heat Network Fund, which is going to see £288 million invested in public, private and third sector-led projects here in England. That scheme's only just started, so the opportunity to come down and address a, an audience of property developers is super exciting. Well done. Um, some obviously fantastic uh contractor after getting done there that's that's amazing to hear and and obviously the ripple effect of that is that it's going to be done in a sustainable way and therefore you know we're going to start seeing the benefits of that coming down the line so you know i suppose it's the one thing about coming to footprint plus here was you know it's something that i probably wouldn't have thought about before is how you know how how being sustainable in in our heating network you know, could have such a, a positive uh, benefit. So do you want to develop that a little bit further? Yeah, definitely. Look, it's, it's one of the toughest nuts to crack on our path to net zero. Uh, it's a number that's often used, but it's something like 37% of our greenhouse gas emissions here in the UK come from the way we heat our homes, our workplaces, and the way we heat industry. So uh, it's it's awesome that we've got this, this great renewable sector now. We lead the world in offshore wind. Uh, we haven't cracked transportation yet at all, but we're well, well on the way. Heating's difficult. Heating's really hard. And, and, and district heating in particular has been at the periphery of an argument now for a little while. There's been lots of conversations about uh, electrification. There's been lots of ambitions and conversations about the role hydrogen will play in the future. And, and undoubtedly, they both will in the future. Uh, but the great thing about district heating is the, the bit of the solution we can be getting on with today. And uh, district heating is its very best when it's using either renewable sources of heat primarily or waste heat. So uh, to capture the energy from a fast flowing river going through the middle of a city uh, uh, and use a heat pump to take that into homes and businesses is super exciting. Uh, in my presentation, I, I mentioned a scheme just down the road in Worthing, where in the town centre, they're drawing heat from the warm water in the sewer network. You know, it's, it's so very cool. Um, it, there's a lot of tragic things going on around the world at the moment. Uh, one thing that's told us, I think, louder than ever is that we've, we've got to reduce our reliance on gas generally uh, for, the, for the driver to net zero, absolutely, but for domestic resilience and uh, uh, just, to, just to arrest the galloping cost of, of, of living. Um, so to take advantage of these amazing natural resources, uh, waste heat, as I say, from you know, uh, energy from waste or, 
or the waste heat from data centers that we're building. It's really cool. Uh, it's not blue sky technology. It's here today. We can be doing it. We should be doing it. It's going to take a lot of money. Um, governments putting their money where their mouth is mercifully. Businesses like my own need to step up. And that's going to be a lot easier when regulation arrives. And the theme of our conversation today was the role regulation will play. We're an unregulated industry at the moment. Uh, that's changing in pretty short order. Uh, we've got an experienced regulator in Ofgem been appointed. Uh, hopefully, we're going to start to see the fruit of their labors from about 2024 onwards. Um, when that happens, I think the world changes. That probably creates an environment that can unlock the kind of levels of institutional investment that are going to be needed to really make this sector sail. Uh, the Heat Network Industry Council, I think it was, that they put a figure of 80 billion uh, against the the amount of investment that could be needed if, if the heat network sector is going to fulfill its potential in the UK. That can't be afforded by public funds. That needs to be from institutions, um, uh, of course, a little bit from government to stimulate market. But in the long run, the private sector needs to step up. Uh, I think regulation is absolutely key to that. Fantastic stuff. Jesus, so interesting to hear all, all what you're saying there. Um, but like, it sounds achievable. Um, I think the one thing that I'm taking out today is there's so many people thinking along the same lines uh, and it's not as you said there it's not a blue sky kind of thought here this is this is business people thinking about doing the right thing but, but doing it in a way that works economically and is sustainable so you know, you know I, I suppose coming to an event like Footprint Plus is a very unique one because it's not just people showcasing what they have it's it's networking and it's talking to, to other like-minded people how have you found that? Oh I've absolutely loved it so it's, it's, it's a different group really and, and it's a group that could be forgiven for having some resistance to new technology you know it's, uh, the, the easy option now is to install gas boilers um, one of my great concerns oh concern isn't right reservations about some of the conversation we've been having in the heat network community because it's it's full of people who are super excited about the sector but it can be a little bit of echo chamber when vanguards talk to other vanguards you can soon convince yourself that the job's done here and we've swayed public opinion actually we need to kind of break down those walls a little bit and socialize and network in different groups and different different organizations and it's conference season there's a lot going on at the moment but this was the one i was most excited about because this was going to introduce us to a whole new world and Actually, far from get resistance, uh, it was really well attended. It was attended in a way that a conversation about regulation has no business being. And, and the questions from an informed audience uh, were really quite insightful and really telling. It makes me think we haven't got to, to win hearts and minds here. Everyone gets it. Everyone's bought off on the idea that we've, we've got to decarbonize our buildings. Um, uh, super excited. I'm already looking forward to next year. Fantastic. So just final question. Are we going in the right direction? I think, you know, you've nearly answered my question already, but, you know, am I right in saying a lot of work done, more to do, and how far down this road are we? Yeah, more to, more to do and sooner, right? I mean, uh, uh, 2050 seems an awful long way away, but I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and I, I look back, if I think, if Blur Oasis is 1993, that feels like yesterday. That's how much time I've got until 2050, right? So we've really got to get cracking now. Uh, we've got to continue to explore new technologies, new ideas, of course. Uh, but we've got to start decarbonizing and we've got to start taking action in the areas we can take action on. That's why I love heat networks. It's not a technology of the future. It's one of today. They're going to get better over time, of course. 
but yeah, we've really got to pull our finger out. We've really got to get motoring. Events like this that pull everyone together are amazing. At some point, we've got to stop talking, though, and actually start doing. Fantastic. Uh, thank you very much for your time, Ken. Really interesting stuff. Pleasure to meet you. Constructive Voices. My name is Lee Golby. I'm uh, Head of Sustainability at a company called Paul Rose in Manhattan. We're a kitchen manufacturer just along the road in uh, Lansing uh, on the south coast. Uh, just came here today to uh, see what was what, really, see how we can help the, the industry progress with its um, sustainability goals. Excellent stuff. Well, you're a man after my own heart, Lee. I'm a, I'm a carpenter by trade and also I'm a main contractor, so I'm um, based in Dublin. I do a lot of construction on domestic and, and a, a bit of development as well. So it's great to see... Uh, you know, a company like yourselves having the interest to come to a, a, an event like this. A lot of the people that are here are, are, are professionals, you know, architects, engineers, from all, all aspects of construction. But it's great to see uh, someone from, you know, a kitchen company that is, uh, has the foresight and the company has the foresight, send somebody here to, to, to address the issues as well. So what, what, what have you seen so far here at Footprint Plus? Um, it's really interesting to see the Briam. Uh, presentation on uh, uh, ESG, so environment, um, social and governance data collection. I think that's something that's really useful for us going forward and, and benchmarking. Uh, also the off-site construction, something really, really interesting. Personally, I think that's probably the future of construction as we know it. Uh, a lot more control, factory conditions, uh, don't have to worry about the weather or plasterers turning up. Uh, absolutely, and uh it might sound a bit corny here, but like kitchen makers have been the masters of off-site construction since God knows when, because you know a lot of your work is done off-site. You you arrive on site then, um, and you and you, you fit uh, the finished product. So uh, doing that in modular construction on a larger scale is pretty much taking that concept and just you know upscaling it. Would be right in saying that, and, and like again, just gives a couple of the advantages of doing that type of construction. Yeah, to a certain degree. I mean, I think the, the biggest advantage is the repeatability and the quality control. So it's all done in a factory-controlled environment. Also, then you've got the, uh, the carbon aspect. It's a lot easier to, to measure the embodied carbon that's going into that unit, be it a kitchen or a, or a segment of a house. Um, and then you've got the control over the delivery. You don't have multiple trades going to site. Um, trying to capture all the sort of the uh, carbon emissions from that would be an absolute nightmare I'd imagine yeah absolutely so we're here today uh, there's so many different people from all different areas of construction as I said earlier um, I've got to see and listen to people who've worked in uh, you know all timber construction then modular construction and then very large scale uh, construction as well so um Everybody here is of a similar mind in terms of we understand the the, the need to go to uh, net zero, the need to to you know carry on the good fight again, and, and, and sustainability is, is is such a huge uh, part of that now. So your boots on the ground uh, understanding of, of you know are are companies taking this serious now, and are they being forced to take it serious, or, or is it just a change of, of basically mentality? I think from our perspective, we are seeing uh, much more attention being paid on sustainability, particularly with some of the bigger construction companies, like the uh, Barclays, Canary Wharf contractors of this world. They're, they're really taking it seriously. And uh, within the housing associations as well, a lot of our tenders are driven 
by our sort of our social aspects of what we do, climate, carbon, all sorts of things. Not just the the general sort of um, quality, health, and safety, which it was tended to be. You know, so yeah, sustainability is much higher priority, I think, for a lot of our customers now. Good stuff. So, final question: Any exciting projects coming up? And um any, any sort of developments in the industry that you can see coming? From us personally, our main focus is on decarbonisation of our fleet. We've, we've got to the point now where our scope one and two, our scope two emissions are zero, our scope one production emissions are now zero, but our, our challenge is our, our scope one transport. Obviously, so with the use of things like HVO, uh, so hydrogenated vegetable oil, running that in our fleet, we aim to reduce our transport emissions by about 90%. Also need to put some solar on the roof of our factory to offset the massive energy price increase. So. Well, listen, Lee. Thanks very much for your time. It, it certainly warms my heart to see that you know people of all, people of all levels are taking this seriously, and you know it's clear to see from speaking to yourself that you know the company that you're with. Do you mind giving me the name of the company again? It's a uh, Paula Rosa Manhattan. Like I mean, you're very clearly putting a lot of thought and, and, and going in the right direction with this, and keep up all the good work. And very nice to meet you. From the Footprint Plus event in Brighton, UK, to the global construction industry. This is Constructive Voices. So now I'm here with Mike Reynolds, the Managing Director of Vattenfall. Swedish energy company, a bit of a best-kept secret in the UK, but we set up a few years ago to deliver large-scale district heating. Uh, we come along and we work with all of these good people in this room, these uh, property investors and developers and property owners, and we help them work out how to tackle that prickly 33% of their carbon emissions that come from uh, property portfolios. Um, so we look at the heating in the buildings. Um, we install big district heating networks that take heat from waste heat sources around cities, deliver it to uh, the building, decarbonize the heat, and do it in the most cost-effective way possible. Um, I've been going for about four years now, and this is my first Footprint Plus event. I'm very excited by it. Excellent stuff. So, it, it, you know, coming from that background, it must be great to uh, to be here in a room, well, a tent that has uh, so many you know, similar-minded people here and, I suppose, a focus not only on sustainability but also on construction because, you know, everybody that's here is a, is a construction person, including ourselves. So um, what's it like to, to be here and to get to, you know, network with people? Yeah, there's a good buzz, actually. Um, one of the interesting things about this event is it seems to have successfully got together people from different different parts of this, uh, the, the, the problem, to, to put it that way. Um, so we've got investors, we've got consultants, we've got construction businesses, we've got property companies and owners, we've got people like me from energy companies, all looking at the problem, but looking at it from a different angle. And I've already had five, six conversations with people which have been really opening my mind, opening, hopefully opening their minds, um, and, it, and, and looking at it from a different point of view. Um, decarbonizing buildings is not easy, um, but it's very much easier if you speak to other people that are doing something similar, uh, understand what they're doing and work together. And that's that's kind of why we're here. Excellent stuff. Um, and just while, while we're here, uh, last question, is there anything that you think should be worked a little bit more on? Uh, like I, do, I think it's fair to say that we have ma- you know, made some steps in the right direction. I think it's also fair to say more needs to be done and uh, we're moving in the right direction but we need momentum and we need a bit of a push is there anything you'd like to develop on that yeah the big thing for me uh, in terms of momentum is that we need to look at actually the construction side um, I think what you're seeing here is a lot of people with intentions who have got a lot of money a lot of intent to invest but the biggest challenge is going to be the supply chain it's going to be the hundreds of thousands of construction workers up and down the country that need to be reskilled to do some of the low-tech um, uh, work that we're looking at 
Uh, it's the operating models of some of the businesses that do that work in the sector. And I, I think getting a bigger voice from the supply chain will be something I think we should look at for the future and making sure that, you know, the realities of um, of managing and rolling out some of these big infrastructure that we're talking about for decarbonization is, is going to be important. So getting Kia here, getting Skanska here, those kind of guys, I'm, I'm really interested to see what they would think. Um, sitting in a room next to me and next to a, 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 an investor from a bank, for example. Yeah, excellent stuff. Listen, thanks very much for your time. This is Constructive Voices. My name is Mitakshi, uh, also known as Me Too, uh, and I lead the sustainability team at Will & Partners. We're a multidisciplinary design team. Uh, and we try and be sustainable in everything that we do. And uh, what I do is make sure that everyone is uh, trying to be sustainable within uh, all the projects that we work with. Very good. Um, great to hear that uh, you have that kind of uh, train of thought and, and obviously your principles are, are obviously in the right direction. What, what type of projects are you involved in? Sort of what have you brought into the company to make them more sustainable? Um, so we're a multidisciplinary design team. Uh, we have uh, design directors who worked in pretty much all of the different types of uh, design industries. We have tall high-rise buildings to housing and uh, workplace design, workplace consultancy and sustainability. Um, so uh, pretty much all over the board. And in terms of your second question, which is sustainability, um, I have a pretty extensive sustainability background. Um, even though I was trained as an architect, I've worked as a sustainability consultant for a very long time now. I also uh, chair the sustainability committee at Coronet UK in an effort to bring the sustainable, uh, bring the sustainability conversation to the forefront uh, in business and uh, corporate real estate circles. Um, so yeah, that's my contribution to uh, towards sustainability. Excellent stuff. So being at a, an event like Footprint Plus gives you the opportunity to speak to a lot of very like-minded people, and um, again, I suppose what it gets you it gives you the opportunity to do is you get to speak to people from so many different um, areas of construction, and that's the one thing that I found here that I'm getting to speak to people who I never probably would have had the opportunity to speak to before in terms of. Uh, maybe the level they are in their company, but also what their company does and um, what what area of construction they're in. So have you found out about today um, and about the, the, the event in general? Yes, definitely. Uh, the ability to speak to different people that you wouldn't speak on a daily basis uh, makes a lot of difference to opening your mind to different solutions that you can go out there and offer to people as well. And I think um, I really enjoyed hearing about all the disruptive sort of carbon innovations within our industry um, that we can integrate within our design solutions. Uh, and I'm really looking forward to going out there and collaborating with all of these people once we are done with the conference. Yeah, because I think that's what will happen. And again, I've, I've heard that from so many other people that I've spoken to today that the connections they've made um, and the collaborations that, that they feel are going to come out of this is such a hugely, hugely positive uh, element to an event like this. But I, I do think that this event is quite unique in that the players that are here uh, are, are, are at all levels in terms of, you know, you've got county councils, you've got uh, developers, you have professional teams in terms of architects, engineers, um, technical guys, you know. So it, it's it's a it's a it's a very much a mixed element of, of people. So what do you think um, you will get out of this now, and, and who are you hoping to collaborate with going forward? Uh, I'm always open to collaborate with everyone. Um, I think that's that's what makes this 
uh, space very unique at this point. Um, we always tend to have conferences where you get siloed within um, different parts and you speak very in, in a lot of detail about those topics. But in this case, we just have a variety of people. And I think that makes a lot of difference because that gives insight. For example, I have had conversations with a developer, an asset manager, a marketing professional and uh, an architect. Um, and many other people like me who want to uh, collaborate and uh, create an integrated solution within um, within an industry that tends to silo people as well. And once we get start talking, we're going to come up with solutions that will help us to uh, address this big problem that we have at the moment, which is reducing carbon and uh, with the the intensity of carbon that our industry um, that industry emits. So it should. Uh, hopefully, it will help us um, do much better everything that we've been doing so far. So, final question, and it's, it's relative to what you just said. Are we doing enough, and will we meet the targets that we need to meet to win this battle to get to, get to carbon net zero? Uh, we might win a few battles. I wouldn't like to say whether or not we would win the war. <laughs> Um, it is it is a difficult question, definitely. Um, and I think that it's very encouraging to see so many people come together to want to be a part of that fight. And all I can say is that if we keep doing what we are doing here, then um, there should be no reason that we will do very well. Uh, whether we are doing enough or whether we are going to do enough is up to not just us, but also the rest of the world to come together to to help so um, it's a really difficult question to answer but that's the best I can say at the moment well thank you very much for your time um, it was really interesting to talk to you and to get your uh, perspective on things thanks for having me Constructive Voices live at Footprint Plus okay so we haven't been here that long we've only been here half a day but uh, already I think I have the award for the strangest location for doing an interview I'm on a swing <laughs> and there's a guy sitting next to me who's also on a swing who can probably explain why because I don't know <laughs> we are currently sat on a swing which was made by Morag Maiskov who is a longtime friend of the company that I work for you and I and uh, she kindly donated a whole load of artwork for us to use at the uh, festival today so our stand is completely reused from other events and things that we've been at so we haven't produced anything brand new today that's printed or here uh, we wanted to try and stay true to the ethos of the event so we brought uh, some furniture from our office and lots of brought lots of color and lots of um, enthusiasm and we've got digital brochures so if people do want a brochure because the property industry loves a brochure uh, they can get it but yeah we've uh, we tried to go um, bright and bold and yeah we're currently swinging looking at the sea the bars in front of us and uh, everyone's having quite a nice time yeah happy days what, what's your name sir uh, my name's sam jarrett and i am the head of marketing and comms for you and i okay so i mean this is a great event because it's bringing together people from all different parts of the construction industry and and the wider sort of sustainability piece uh i mean you've got quite a striking stand here as you you sort of given people an idea of the color and the, and the fact that this is a, a swing that we're on which is brilliant um what have people been saying to you what, what what's been the sort of vibe for you so far at the event i think a lot i think a lot of people are here to learn if i'm completely honest i think we come here with our ppp credentials so ppp is public private partnership 
So we've worked on two big schemes in Brighton called Circus Street and Preston Barracks, which are partnerships with the uh, local authority, so Brighton Hove City Council and the University of Brighton. And we're here to meet other local authorities, uh, to do a few more around the UK. So that's why we're here. Uh, I think other people are here you know, for various reasons. I've seen people selling sofas and mattresses. I've seen our architects. So it's a real mixed crowd, actually. Uh, but pro- I think this has, got, this has actually found itself a quite a nice niche in the property calendar. Um, it's really lovely to have an event which is for you know, a bigger thing than just meeting people. This has got a real lovely ethos and uh, inspiration behind it. And I, I think it's going to just explode from there, really. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the, the, the important thing, and you could sort of say, well, you know, how does what we're doing now fit into constructive voices because we're all about the construction sector but actually the way things are moving and and, you know I've talked to other people here today who are saying that development and the way that towns and cities and individual projects whether they're housing or commercial structures it's all now far more than just about the building it's about everything that's around and it's about how that's built, what it's built from, and the whole sustainability thing is so important. Yeah, I, and I think it's about sharing your skills and experience with the, with, with the world, really. We've got our man Mike Harrison here, who's just coming off stage now, actually, who's been talking about uh, a, a new uh, material called concretine, which is a hybrid between concrete and graphene. And we did, our, we did the world's first commercial pour at our site in Manchester called Mayfield, um, which has actually been used as a roller disco, believe it or not. But it's beyond roller disco. This is about a brand new material that is cheaper to produce, better for the environment and quicker. So it's like, you can't beat that, can you? And it's about telling everybody else that they should do a bit of that as well. And not because it you know, helps us, helps everybody. Uh, and it was, it was actually pioneered in Manchester as well with the university. So um, we're sort of here spreading the word about that as well. Well, I think what you've hit on there is a really important point that actually it's about having those conversation starters. It's about getting people talking about the possibilities because we can all sit around and say, ah, we've got this huge issue that we need to deal with, this climate emergency. I don't know what to do. But actually, once you start having the conversations, there are people with the answers here. Yeah, and hopefully action afterwards. And I think that's the bit that, you know, the event organisers are doing a great job filling the room with the right people. And then it's up to us to learn and take it away and actually do something. So hopefully next year there'll be people stood up saying, right, we listened to what we learned and did it. And you, relative to me, and, you know, a lot of people who may be listening to this who are construction industry executives, for example, who may be, uh, you know, older in years, shall we say. Uh, you're a young guy. How, how important is this whole thing of the, the global climate emergency and sustainability to you and, and your peers? Yeah, absolutely. It's driving loads of decision-making processes, right from which coffee shops we choose to go and drink our coffee in, uh, right through to you know the companies that we choose to go and work for, uh, and it, it is a huge issue. It's a huge uh, motivation in the things that we choose to buy and associate ourselves with. Um, but I also think you know that it's not just our generation; it's uh, you know various generations. I think this is a human issue, and, and I think gen- genuinely everybody here today is obviously silently agreeing that we need to do something about it. Um, you know, we're, the, the decisions we're making, even in our jobs, are motivated by it. We've brought no tote bags to this event because we think 
Uh, I've seen a few knocking around actually. We, we had a big debate about it. Tote bags at an event. Surely you have to take a load of tote bags, but we are making conscious de- decisions right now. Uh, so yeah, we, we've minimised all of our print, which we're making better decisions than we used to. I think the industry is uh, sadly a little bit behind others in terms of the speed at which we're adopting change, but we're slowly getting there. I think the pandemic has sped up our um, transition into digital as well massively. Um, So yeah, it's a huge issue for us. And how important is it that, you mentioned private um, public partnerships, how important is it that the private and public sectors engage in this way? Absolutely. Uh, I think uh, the, the main thing between those two relationships are we, we, we each bring something to the table and we must listen to each other to then deliver it. So in, in Brighton, we listened to what the council wanted. They wanted a new facility for South East Dance. So we built them a theatre and a, a studio space. You know, it's not every, I don't think you'll speak to anybody else here who's, do, who's done that, but we did it. Uh, and in uh, Preston Barracks, we're putting up public art, not because there's an obligation to do so, just because we think it's the right thing to do. And, you know, we, were, we got the vibe that, that that was what we needed to do. So I think it's about listening and working together to uh, share something that is quite special. And that's what you can achieve between the two. There's always going to be frictions. You know, this is, we come at it from totally different perspectives. And some things that we think are completely the right thing to do, our public sector partners might be like, why on earth would you want to do that? that so but I think uh, you know I think uh, clashes of styles and cultures is absolutely what we need to make change happen because otherwise everyone gets a bit safe and uh, you'll always just do what you've always done right absolutely you need to get on your metaphoric swing uh, <laughs> and think differently about things thank you thank you for getting me on a, a swing for the first time in ages where, where can people find out about what you do uh, it's uh, uniplc.com or you can follow us on instagram it's just uniplc constructive voices the podcast for the construction people hi i'm tom larson from stanhope um, design director uh, we're a urban regeneration specialist um, focusing on dealing with sites uh, that have a great deal of complexity to them to try and unlock value for um, our clients, ourselves and for society. Great stuff. So I heard some of the the talk that you were involved in there and it was about the repurposing of building, which obviously um, has huge advantages in terms of uh, the the massive amount of reduction in the carbon emissions. So um, do you want to develop that subject just a little bit further and, you know, maybe touch on a couple of the points that you went through there? Yeah, sure. So um, we've got some great buildings in the UK um, and in our cities, um, and we should look to reuse that stock where we can and where it's um, practical to do so. Um, But it's never a one-size-fits-all solution. Um, I think the idea that that there's an absolute requirement to retain buildings um, isn't quite right. It's much more nuanced than that around... um, site specifics the specific requirements of, of the market um, and the condition of the buildings because you know if you look back over history a building built in the 1920s uh, was designed to different technologies uh, different cultural um, and technological requirements of the time um, compared to say a building in 1950s or a building we do today and some are easier than others to to reuse um, whether that's uh, the logic of the structure, the level of kind of flamboyance in the architecture, um, or a number of other factors. Um, so yeah, it's it's a, it's a nuanced one. Absolutely. And um, just a little bit bit about Stanhope, your, the business itself. Um, any exciting projects that you want to discuss? Um, and just a general 
uh, overview of, of what you do on a day-to-day basis? Uh, yes, yes. So it's a really exciting time for for us at Stanhope. Um, obviously, the world is going through a massive amount of change at the moment, um, with changes in technology coming out of the pandemic, new ways of living, working, um, and and that makes our job more interesting because what we try to do is is to take complex um, problems and 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 translate those into solutions um, that we build in t- it, through our places and our buildings um, so actually the volatility and the change that's happening in the world at the moment um, it makes things more interesting for us yeah without the shadow of a doubt I've seen it myself I'm a main contractor as well and the transition in terms of materials that are being used the types of construction uh, that are, are, are now uh, being used are, are different to what they were um, so with that it's, it's exciting and, it's, and it certainly makes our, our jobs interesting, but it creates new challenges. And um, obviously, the focus of the event that we're at here today and the focus within construction is certainly turning towards uh, the climate emergency and, and you know reducing the carbon emissions. Um, how have you found that within your own business, uh, that transition? And uh, I suppose, are you seeing enough of a drive within the industry? I think the the pace of change in society well particularly obviously in the UK and Europe towards a greater awareness for the climate emergency and the actions that kind of need to be taken at all levels to, to sort of Im- improve things over the next uh, decades is amazing you know that that pace of change and events such as such as this are kind of testament to that with that challenge comes new opportunity and we're enjoying trying to be at the forefront of of um how urban developers kind of address the needs of their customers and their investors but also minimize our footprint and our impact and obviously that that impact being the embodied uh, energy within the buildings that we create but also the operational energy uh, of those buildings when they're in operation so it's a fascinating challenge and one that the more you look at the more kind of interesting and uh, nuanced it gets but one we're really enjoying tackling Great stuff. So, final question, because I know you're a busy man. Um, what has it been like to be at a, an event like Footprint Plus and to kind of get to meet and greet and, and, and see uh, so many of, of the, your industry peers? And uh, have, you, have you been able to collaborate with a couple of people and have you enjoyed that whole process of, of, of being here? Yeah, it's great. It's, um, it's a great event and it's always nice to be by the seaside in the sun. Um, and with like-minded people. The industry is driven by the people who are in it and the more people from across the spectrum, whether that's from uh, government, local council, investors, uh, developers and uh, consultants and contractors that can can get involved and share ideas, um, the better because this isn't a subject that can uh, be tackled by any of those in silos. It has to be something that benefits from communication collaboration and events such as this are really good kind of platforms uh, for that great stuff listen thank you very much for your time tom enjoy the rest of your day no problem thank you from the footprint plus event in brighton uk to the global construction industry this is constructive voices my name is vicky slade i'm my role as the director of strategic advice on, on sustainability 
So I work a lot with local authorities who are um, working through their climate emergency, but also with the, the, the private clients, so whether they be developers, planners, uh, architects, uh, who are looking to try and engage with local authorities, get those contracts, but understand what local authorities are looking for to help achieve their climate goals. The range between one council's idea of what is net zero and another is, is massive. Uh, so there's a big education piece to do and a lot around matching up the right sort of organisations to work with the right sort of councils. Very good because working in the private sector and then working with councils can be a completely different uh, game field altogether. Um, so obviously you must have a lot of uh, experience in, in dealing with various different councils and um I suppose if anyone is listening here today, what is it that you can bring to a situation to to help progress maybe an introduction and uh, a development within this situation? So the, the getting into a council and through a council and navigating that, that even the language and the processes is, is really quite complex. Uh, the, the, the incredible thing about, about Kratos as a company is it's people. Uh, I'm personally a former council leader. Uh, a lot of our associates and our directors are either former chief execs, cabinet members, leaders of councils, either conti- carrying on in that in that role uh, on a part-time basis or have been recently involved in it. So we've got the access to be able to build a relationship. It's not a case of getting in once and, and just sort of you know closing a deal. It's about building a relationship and understanding how a, 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 a local authority works and operates, what they're looking for. Uh, and over the, the years of, of providing that public affairs support and those internal sort of conversations, we're able to, to open doors in a way that you know, perhaps can sometimes be quite difficult to shove. Very good. And um, being at an event like Footprint Plus, uh, one thing that I've certainly noticed is that there's people from all areas of construction, all aspects of construction, professionals, developers, finance, insurance, uh, local authorities. There's just there's just so many people coming together in the one place. Um, and like, what what are the positives that you can see out of that happening together under one roof? So this conference is is quite different from from others that we've attended. Uh, this is very much a, it's got a lot of technical um, sort of involvement. Uh, there seems to be lots of really really engaged people who are just really trying to make a difference and move the whole agenda on. Uh, and hopefully we've got a, a, part, a part to play in the sort of how do you how do you build those relationships that perhaps people are head down, you're doing their technical work, you know, creating the stuff, but actually it's how do you how do you bring those people together? And that's where I think we've got a, a story to tell. Um, it's a fabulous location being down here in Brighton. You know, it's uh, where else would you want to be? Uh, I, I think that the organisers have done a really good job with their, their first conference like this. So hopefully we'll be back next year um, involved in an even bigger way. Excellent stuff. And in terms of, of the sustainability issue in general and uh, the drive towards net zero, um, events like this certainly are what I would probably call motivators or, or you know, they help push uh, issues along the road. How do you think we're doing along along this road? Are, are we we have some work done? We've obviously got more work to do. Um, is it a, is it a positive from your point of view? And, and where do you see the next years going? I think uh, a lot of the, the, the issues is hearts and minds. Uh, there's still a lot of people out there who don't who either believe the problem is too big for it to be worth bothering with, 
or not relevant to them. And I think um, in some respects, some of the issues around sustainability have got to hit people hard in order for them to wake up. Um, it's brilliant to see so many organisations here who are trying to do the right thing and listening to some of the some of the debates uh, and some of the presentations. Um, it's clear there's some very innovative stuff happening. So uh, I think the answer is to keep your keep your eyes and ears open. I mean, as a company, we've just sent the Bill Gates book, um, How to Avoid a Climate Disaster, to every council in the country sent it to the leader, asked them to read it, asked them to share it, because we don't believe that enough people in local government actually understand. And because they don't understand, they don't want to say they don't understand, they don't learn. So that book's hopefully going to open their eyes a little bit so that they'll ask for help. Um, and, and there are so many organisations here that could be part of that solution. This is Constructive Voices. And that's all for this episode of Constructive Voices. Please take a moment to share it with others who may find it interesting. Follow or subscribe to get the latest episodes automatically on your favourite podcast app and rate and review the podcast if you can. You can also listen to the latest episode by saying, Alexa, play Constructive Voices podcast. Here's Constructive Voices. Here's the latest episode. And on our website where there's lots more information too. That's constructive-voices.com. Don't forget the dash. Until next time, thanks for listening. You're really helping us build something. Mm-hmm.